Hey, sorry about the background noise, but I just wanted to hop on here real quick and say this is the second part of our interview with Tyler Roberts um, for our special Father's Day episode. So happy Father's Day. If you have not listened to part one of this episode, go be sure to go back and listen to it um, because they kind of they go together. Um, But yeah, we're just going to talk about um, kind of the role of a father and how important that is on this Father's Day. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Insta Mama Show. Hi, this is Rachel. And this is Natalie. And, and we, we are, are the Insta Mamas. We are sisters with a podcast where we talk about everything from adoption, foster care, healthy, clean living, motherhood, and, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. It was funny because I got along more with my dad, even though I didn't live with him, and I butted head with my stepdad a lot. I think it's because I lived with him, Yeah. you know? Um, and so I would gravitate towards what my dad was doing. Um, and then as an adult, you know, my dad died when I was young. He was, I was 22 and my dad passed my biological dad passed away. Uh Um, and you know, so. And that's when you need your dad a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, at that point, Katie was pregnant with our second child when my dad died. (laughs) So it was, it's been tough, but, um, you know, I, I read a book. Um, it's by Gordon Dalby called Healing the Masculine Soul. And it's about, um, the wounds that come from being a man, you know, Mm. whether it's, it's wounds you experience as a child, um, societal abuses that I think happen towards men. You know, we live in a society that tells men that they're second class citizens. Um, that your, your masculinity is toxic. Right. That, um, you know, you look at sitcoms and the way they portray fathers, it's usually as dumb, slow, Mm -hmm. uninvolved, unintelligent, you know, that it's just this, this, you know, the mom is the one that's steering the ship. And I mean, I I would defy anyone to find a, a, a sitcom or something that shows a dad as a responsible, caring, um, leader in their home, you know, and it's... Unless it's like a single dad show, I don't right. think it exists. And don't get me wrong. I, I think that in a lot of ways, men have sort of um, leaned into that stereotype, mm-hmm. you know, and it was difficult for me in the beginning of our marriage to take the role of a leader because Katie was just so much better at it than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that that Gordon Dalby talks about in this book is how children, both boys and girls, get their affirmation from their father. And girls' femininity has to be affirmed by their fathers. It has to be. Or else she is going to find that affirmation from somebody else. Usually it's not a... And it's usually not a good thing. And boys have to have their masculinity affirmed by their fathers. And if they don't, they are going to look to society to show them how they should live. And um, we've operated in this world where, unfortunately, men have shirked their responsibilities in the family for decades you know we've lived in this era where increasingly men are less involved in their kids' lives um and it has forced women into a role of of single motherhood a role that they weren't meant to live that they weren't meant to do and i'm and i have no disrespect or this isn't to you know to slight any single mothers Mm -hmm. but most of them wouldn't choose to be that you know it's hard to raise a kid with two people Raising, raising a child with one, I can't even imagine, you know? And so, um, but because of that, it has, it's kind of like been this undercurrent for a long time that feels like it's coming back as a 
tsunami of problems and issues and now you have this this new wave feminism that's coming in that i think that generates from this this lack of men behaving as men you know behaving as responsible taking care of your children being there for your wife being involved in the raising of your kids um i i have this uh, statistics here from a website it's called uh liveabout.com um, and it says from the U.S. Department of Justice, children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides. Oh, I did not know that. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths come from homes where the fathers are gone. Behavioral disorders, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions... 75% of adolescent parents, I'm sorry, adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, and 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger come from fatherless homes. That gives me, like, chills. It's so sad. Yeah, and this was, um, I think, this research... Well, that's research, probably. Yeah, I think this was from, I want to say it was this was from 2018... When my sister is a police officer, says all those statistics. 2019 is when this was done. Worsened during the pandemic. Oh yeah. Because um, all of our problems in society, there was like a magnifying glass put on them. Yeah. And um, she said she's she's never done so many um, domestic abuse calls, suicides. She said it's, but a lot of it goes back to not having a father in the home. And I want to mm-hmm. go back to the single mom thing. You know, um, I do see this a lot in my mom's group, too, where dads are villainized. Mm-hmm. Society has kind of raised them fatherless, and now they're trying to be dads, and they're not always great at it. And so the moms are like, it's easier to do it without you. And sometimes right. for safety, it is better Absolutely. That, that the dad is not allowed. But something I love about Judge Judy is, is she calls out moms that keep, when the situation mm-hmm. is safe, yeah. and it's good for the children to be with their dad... Um, she's like, you weren't just cause you're the mom, you have no right to keep this man from right. his kids. But then I think a lot of men just don't fight because they've never been taught how to fight. They don't know how to be warriors for their families. Well, and we live in a society that tells them they don't have the right to, Yeah, you know, toxic. If you, right. You know. One of the things that, um, my mom, so my, when I was seven, my parents got divorced. My dad left my mom for another woman, mm-hmm. um, and married her. I love her. She's a fantastic woman. Um, I can't imagine my life not having her around. But one of the things that my mom did, and my mom certainly wasn't perfect, but she never talked bad about my dad or my stepmom, wow. ever. Um, she, That's respectable. Cause... It is. And I can't even say that I would be the same. Because it's natural to be like, no. this this is guy. Yeah. And this is someone who contributed to the breakup of her marriage. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember when I met my stepmom for the first time, I came home and I was super upset. Because I liked her and I didn't want to hurt my mom's feelings. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, well, I'm glad that you like her. Because I would hate for you to have to be someplace where you didn't like the people that were there. Wow. And then she, told me, she really went, then she told me she went into her room and cried and cried and cried. <laughs> but, you know. But she um, did what was right. Right. For her kid. And she made it okay for me easy. to be okay with the situation that we're in. Because we didn't have a choice. You know? Yeah. But... When it comes to that that idea of toxic masculinity, I understand what they're talking about. 
you know, and I, and I do think that there's a lot of things that need to change about some of the ways that men interact with people in general. Um, you know, my, my dad, I think did the best that he knew how to do, but he was kind of a womanizer. Mm. He was an alcoholic. Um, he, he behaved in a lot of ways that I don't think most people would find to be acceptable nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, and I've seen that and I'm a, and you know, and I'm a man, like I know how men behave and I know that there's a lot of really, um, bad things about the way that masculinity has been weaponized. Mm -hmm. But I think that statistically speaking, um, masculinity in general is not toxic and in fact it's necessary if we are going to have a functioning society well you know we are kind of we were talking about i think it was my husband and i were talking about we're very cushy in our society mm-hmm. like there are men that go to war you know yeah. that's still and women too but we aren't like defending our fields against like an invader or something we we are very very rarely in our daily lives in mortal danger right and i think we have women we've been We've been taught to grow up thinking that men are the enemy a lot of times, and they're that in history men have always been abusive towards their wives, and women just had to take it, and now we're not going to take it anymore. But I don't think that's true. I've been do I mean that's definitely was true of some families, but I've been doing a lot of research, and I I realized like the family unit, the man protected and the wife nourished the home and they mm-hmm. had these roles and they knew and it wasn't perfect and there were still like men that did evil things and women that did evil things but the family couldn't have survived through history if it was this messed up thing yeah you know if, if we can't be the first generation that's figured it out like right <laughs> we, we know what we're gonna do we're gonna kick men out of the homes and women can do everything men can do better and like I, you know, would have called myself a feminist until just a couple years ago. But then when I started researching feminism and learned what it really is, it's to break up the family and separate it. And men and women work best when they're, when they're doing what they do best. Right. When I don't have to do all the man things, I'm better at doing mm-hmm. the things I'm good at. And same for my husband, because I'm kind of the same way. I could be the leader and I could run the household and I could do everything, but... I'm so glad I don't have to. Right. I'm so glad. And he protects us. And I didn't see that until we were in, when we were in India. Um, and we were in mortal danger. Mm-hmm. And he had to be like a real man. And like he's always been a real man. He's I know what you mean. <laughs> but like he had to like posture at people and stand in front of us and, uh-huh. and walk behind us and like actually be our bodyguard. And it was like the first time in our marriage that I was like, Ooh, this is really attractive. Like, I mean, I'd, always, <laughs> I'd always been attracted to him. I'd always loved him, but it was a different side of him. And seeing him protect our daughter was like, but that's how men have been through like all of history. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, well, you um, think back to like, you know, the early days of our country, you know, and, and even in like, you know, the, the East Coast that was, you know, colonized very quickly and, and European standards were brought over very fast. And, um, you know, the men, the gentlemen, you know, they knew how to fight. They knew how to shoot. They, even though they were, you know, these prim and proper guys. They with their wigs, but they could kill Right, them. but they would. And they and they would if they had to. Like, and I think, I, I think that in some ways we, we've, we've divided men into these two camps of like, you know, sort of feminine type guys and masculine type guys. And we've demonized, you know, the, the masculine kind of guys. And I think in a lot of ways... On the reverse of that, I feel like in more conservative circles, the the more quote-unquote feminine type men have been demonized as well. And I think it's important to remember that God is a creator, you know. Um, 
I am not what I would call like a heavily masculine man. I mean, I hunt, I know how to shoot, I'm a good shot. You know, I can do work, I can get things done, but I'm much more creative. You know, I I work for an event planner on the weekends. Um, I make cakes, you know, like I... Gorgeous cakes. <laughs> I do things that, <laughs> that typically would not be considered a manly thing to do. And for a long time, that was a struggle for me to feel like, you know... To feel like a man while... While doing these things that I enjoyed. And I always would think like, you know, I can't really let anybody know this. But God put that in me. You know, that creativeness, that that um, that eye for colors and those kinds of things. God created the world. And that means he created all the dainty, beautiful things too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, you know, but at the same time, God is a protector. God is a defender and a provider. And yeah. men kind of have to um, step into that role more. And I think that, and especially with, with, with my own experience, that was really hard for Katie to let me do. Because mm-hmm. she grew up with a mom who was single for most of her, her upbringing years. So um, Katie was very independent, is yeah. very independent. Um, she doesn't like to get help from anybody. It's, you know, she wants to do it all herself. And so for her to sort of step aside and let me start growing into the role that God created me for was very difficult. Um, and it was made even more difficult because I didn't really want to do it. <laughs> you know, it had been so easy to let Katie take care of all this stuff. And I just worked and, you know, defended the home if I needed to. And, um, which I didn't because, you know, we're not in wartime. Right. But, um, you know, but, but with Katie and I, it, we've developed this partnership where we work together. We figure things out together. We make decisions together. If there is a conflict, um, for an immediate, immediate situation, then I do take the lead. Yeah. But most of the time we, we do things together and, um, you know, it, cause that's godly leadership in the home. It's not right. Man makes all the decisions. It's just, he's, you know, I think people really, and it's taken a lot of our marriage for me to realize the true, where the man, what his protection, what all the things, the good things of it, because I grew up in, in, school where they were teaching all these things that men were the enemy and sometimes they were even in my personal Mm -hmm. life the enemy and um i was thinking when you were talking about feminine masculine the things that are both in men and women but king david yes he was a manly he could like kill you with any with anything with anything and his mighty men could like well one of them like killed something like 300 men with a donkey jawbone or something these were like the elite warriors of the time but when their women and children were taken away in battle they wept and they cried and they and david he could play a harp so beautifully it would like calm the king but then Mm -hmm. he could like go you know lead a a, take 200 philistine foreskins right (laughs) (laughs) sorry maybe that's too much for uh, (laughs) but you know um Right. Kate um, and I, and we we talk about this just because I think it's important to talk about, not because we're paranoid or whatever, but, you know, in in times of emergency, we know what we're going to do, you know? If if there's an intruder, I protect Katie and she protects the kids, you know? Um, I, we, there isn't, and and I was thinking about this, so I'm I'm a history major at Uh NNU, and one of the things I learned about that, I didn't know this, but a lot of Native American tribes were matriarchal in their societies and women made the decisions. However, men were still the warriors. Men were the ones that fought, that protected, that, um, you know, that, that 
took care of, of the physical safety of their tribes. And so even though women were the ones that were technically making decisions and even like um, what property they had, because property rights with Native Americans were a little bit different than what we yes, would understand them the to be. But it was passed down from the mother's side. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, the mother's lineage. It was a very interesting to learn about, but it was interesting to me that even in that, they still recognized that men's role was to defend, was to protect. And I think in a lot of ways, our, our men have been so afraid to protect. And I'm not just talking about physical, you know, but sp- taking responsibility for the spiritual protection of your family. Yeah. I'm responsible for the things and the spirits that I let into my home. Katie's not going to be held responsible to that to the same degree that I will be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's been kind of a wake up call when, when Katie and I first got married and well into our marriage and even into us going to the church. Um, I loved horror movies. Mm -hmm. I loved them. I I liked the suspense. I liked the, you know, character development. Well, and you do in that situation. Well, yeah, it was fun. I liked the adrenaline rush that comes from being scared. Um, and it really, I, I went to a, a retreat kind of thing that we did with the church once, and Katie had been trying to get me to stop watching horror movies for years, and I never watched them with the kids around. Yeah. I just would watch them by myself. I kept them, the DVDs I had, I kept, you know, separately from the rest of ours. Um, and um, one of the pastors talk, that I was at this retreat talked about soul gates and letting these things into your your castle, so to speak, the castle of your soul. And it really um, opened my eyes to the fact that I am letting in horrible spirits into my home by watching these movies. And this isn't like a condemnation of people that watch scary movies. I do believe that there's a lot of things that are personal conviction mm-hmm. um, that aren't biblically Especially mandated. Media, right. Very personal. But you know, the Bible does say to think on things that are pure and noble and holy and of good report. And I don't think any of that could be said of most horror movies yeah. <laughs> but um you know it was it was a big wake-up call to me to to begin to see that especially in this age where we don't fight against flesh and blood but we do fight against the spirits and powers of of darkness in this age that's where it's coming in it's not this onslaught of physical attack on our homes it is a spiritual attack on our families and there is so much division in this country in our homes i mean even you know, within our close friends and family at the church and stuff. Um, in the last year, I have seen so many families split. There's this this massive spirit of division. And um, yeah. a lot of things were brought to the surface because of the pandemic. And yeah, I want to talk about all this stuff. But you're you're saying that the, the, the husband, the father needs to be the spiritual protector. They don't have you don't have to fight feuding armies anymore. But those principalities are armies that are that want to destroy and i i noticed during the pandemic a lot was brought to the top Mm -hmm. and for some people it made them stronger made their marriages stronger they had to deal with some stuff they had to kick some things out of their lives right and and that happened in our family a lot we were like oh we were really holding on to some things that we did not need to (laughs) and we were caring about some things that were not godly and so um, but then it opened our eyes to fix some things. But then other people in my family, it just like brought about brokenness, divorce, and yeah. and it's been so sad to see people breaking apart and over things that I'm like, oh, if you just let the Lord capture your family again, 
And this is kind of the, the next question I have about, like, what are challenges for fathers today? So we know the problem is fatherlessness. We yeah. know it's been passed down from generation to generation. We, but how do we expect someone who's maybe on their third generation of divorce, mm-hmm. how do we expect that man to keep his family together? Right. You know, like, and is it even fair? And it, I mean, it's easy to be critical and I don't think it's, it's just always the man's fault. It's, so, you know, marriages break up for lots of reasons. But what, what is it specifically that fathers and husbands have to war against in this modern world we're living in? Um, I think one of the things that is a, a huge uh, thing to overcome for men is that they don't know how to be men, godly fathers, godly husbands, because they haven't been taught. You know, especially when you have half of, the, half of our society is growing up without fathers in their yeah. home. Um, and... You well, and that's probably even more than that because that's just half of marriages that end a divorce. That's not including you know couples that weren't ever married to begin with. Which is happening know? more and more. A lot of people just aren't getting right. married. So there is a lack of a good example of what it means to be a good, godly um, man and father and husband. I would say probably more than anything, that's the biggest hurdle I think for men to overcome. You know, I grew up in the '90s. Um, there was a massive move in, I think, um, female, um, empowerment, which I don't think was necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up under a lot of, my mom is a very strong woman. Um, and you know, I, I don't have anything against women in leadership or anything like that. I don't think that's a problem at all, but I do think that there was so much emphasis put on the, um, the advancement of women that men sort of fell behind. And I think that in, even today I find that I defer to women to avoid looking like, you know, a, a mansplaining kind yeah. of guy. And, um, you know, we don't have, I feel like a lot of our, our leaders are not, um, don't display what it really means to be a man. You have a lot of, of um, people in politics and in Hollywood and all these things where, you know, boys that don't have fathers are looking and seeing men and they are... Um, they are putting themselves in the backseat when it comes to their families. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's the example that's being set. Um, I think a, another issue is, um, is just a, a, a general lackadaisical attitude when it comes to what a, a man, a husband, a father is supposed to do. Um, it's really easy to sit there and blame society for everything. But the truth is that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for weak men. Um, there's that saying that, you know, what is it? Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. And then bad times create strong men. And that's, we're kind of in this cycle of that where we're right now where we have weak men that are making bad times. And, um. Wow, that's really profound. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just, I feel like it's what's happening in general in our country. And again, this is very generalizing. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there aren't good leaders out there. Not all men are like that. Right. <laughs> but unfortunately, the ones that are on TV the most tend to be. Yeah. And the ones that aren't like that are demonized and or ignored, um, slandered. I mean, it's just, it's we live in this time where perception is everything. And, um, the, and because of media and social media and all this stuff, the perception can be skewed. As to what's, you know, the, the truth of a situation. And so, um, we, I think the the main struggle for a man is, um, 
is not American modern progressive society. I think it's a, a spirit of undermining and usurping and um, and laziness that is seeping into men in this country that um, we've just kind of been sitting back and let happen. Well, like, you know, from a woman's perspective, like, um, I kind of grew up being like, get out of our way so we can be successful. I think a lot of women believed that it was men holding them back. Well, the men got out of the way, mm-hmm. and now women are being incredibly successful, and we've missed out on the best parts of ma- male and female relationships. We right. we miss I miss we women are like we want a strong man, but we actually just sit back and be a strong man and right. let me do everything. And and I'm definitely that person. I've had to like, it's been the Lord creating our marriage to be like oh, and then when I was able to like. This is the thing that one many things that feminism gets wrong. But if women can rise up above men, then that's going to be the thing. But it's like when we rise up together, everyone gets lifted, mm-hmm. and the children—that's the thing who gets. When men and women are competing against each other, what happens right. to the kids? Yeah, well, they just get left behind. You know, when God created man, He created men and women in His image. Yeah. You know, a marriage, a and I'm going to say it out loud on on the podcast, a traditional. Man, woman, relationship, marriage creates the image of God. And that is why that is the number one thing that Satan fights against. He has always and will always, if he can pit men and women against each other, he is literally destroying the image of God on earth. And Katie and I are not in competition with one another. Now, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. (laughs) (laughs) You owe me five bucks because I won the bet. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know. But I think you, you hit it right on the head. Men and women aren't supposed to compete against each other for power or authority. We are supposed to work together. And the Bible also says that a house divided cannot stand. Yeah. And if, if men and women are so busy fighting against each other, God doesn't fight against himself. Yeah. You know? And God doesn't compete with his own nature. And so that should be a sign for us. If you are competing against your spouse... Whether you're a man or a woman, you are doing something wrong. That's out of God's character. Right. I even think about Adam and Eve. He pulled her from his rib, not his head, not his feet, mm-hmm. his rib, so that they would be at level with one another. Right. And I I love that, that picture of marriage. Um, and I know we aren't Jewish, but I just learned this, and I don't believe this necessarily, but some Jewish people believe that... Um, like a man and woman when they get married that there's one man and one woman that God has planned since their birth to be married together and when they marry they come together and become the image of God again so like they were separated by you know gender and oh that's interesting I know and I probably am misunderstanding it because I just heard it on some random podcast but (laughs) it's kind of a beautiful image because we as Christians believe when we come together you know that once the marriage covenant whether it was God's plan before or not Right. Now it is God's plan. Yeah. And Kate, it's funny, <laughs> so, when Kate and I first got married, she asked me if I believed that we were destined to be together. Soulmates. And yeah, I said, I no, I don't believe in that. And she was heavily offended. <laughs> I can um, But I Maybe said... you could have said it more tactfully. Well, I said, what's more romantic? The idea that I was drawn to you by some insurmountable <laughs> force that I had no option but to yield to you? Or the fact that I chose to be with you because I love you and you're the person that I wanted to be with. Now... I think there's, and this obviously is a very broad and well-discussed issue, I think there's a difference between 
being destined with somebody and God knowing that's who you're going to end up with because God knows everything. But, um, but you know, Katie and I chose to be together Mm -hmm. and, and it's like going into a partnership in a business. You know, if your business is going to succeed, your partners have to work well together. You can't be competing with each other. You can't be conniving against each other. You have to have the same values. Right. Same, the same goals. Yeah. Like it's, it's a partnership and, I, I feel like Christianity, and, and I, I understand why, you know, especially as a history major, I can see why there is this um, stigma in the feminist modern movement towards Christianity because of the way that um, I think for a long time the Bible was used to mistreat women yeah. and to not... Um, Which breaks God's heart. That's not right. God it. created them too. Uh-huh. You know, God created women as well. And I think that they, I get it. Like, I understand why there is this feeling towards um, towards the Christian standard of doing things. Because it hasn't always been used the way that God intended it to be. Um, but when, when Christian manhood and Christian husband-wife um, relationships are instilled and fostered and done right, it creates a such a peaceful and productive place. You know, Kate and I have have had our struggles we have fought we've we've um you know i mean we're, we're human beings you know we we certainly don't do it perfect all the time yeah we fight less now than we used to <laughs> you know but um our our goals are the same and we are we are moving towards this area where we're raising godly kids in a in a world that is in such desperate need um and to kind of go back to one of the things you talked about raising kids in in this society one of the things i try to teach my kids is that you know, kingdoms have risen and fallen throughout human history. Yeah. And um, America is no more immune to that than any other country was before us. You know, any other kingdom, any other, you know, whatever. You you know, you had the Egyptians, the Persians, the Greeks, the, the Romans. Over and over again. The Israelites, you know, and in modern days, you know, you've got, you've got Britain that had like half the world, you know, in its control for a while. Um that comes and goes, but what doesn't leave is the kingdom of God. And I always try to remind them that you can get caught up in the politics, and politics are important. Mm-hmm. It's important to be involved. But I try to remind my kids, and I try to remind myself, that I'm a Christian before I'm an American. That's true. And if one day America falls, my Christianity is still going to be there. The kingdom of God will still be there, and the kingdom of God will still advance the only thing that's going to stop that from happening is not Joe Biden. It's not Nancy Pelosi. It's, you know, it's not any of these things. It's weak Christians and it's weak men who decide not to teach their children how to be godly leaders in this world that we're living in right now. That's what's going to stop the kingdom of God. Not politics, not laws, not, you know, acts, not Congress, not the Supreme Court. That's not going to stop the move of the kingdom of God. It's we as as parents, we as Christians are the ones that are standing in the way of the advancement of the kingdom of God here on in, in this planet. And the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will rend their hearts, their hearts, I will heal their land, you know? Yeah. And it's that's not saying that, you know, Nancy Pelosi has to, you know, renounce abortion so she can take communion. I know that that was a big thing in the news this week that the archdiocese said they wouldn't give her communion because of her stance on abortion. 
that's not stopping the advancement of the kingdom of God. Good for them. And I think it's easy to sit there and look at all of our societal ills and all these problems that we see in this country as Christians and say it's these politicians' fault. But it's not their fault. It's our fault. Yeah. And the Bible makes it very clear that the fall of a nation stands with the church, not with the people. You know, you look at Jeremiah, you know, yeah. who wept and 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 prayed over and and took on I remember reading it and he took on so much responsibility a lot of the prophets did of the the issue even though they didn't do it you know but it was their responsibility anyway they cried out to the Lord. for forgiveness yeah. and I think that we someone I, I saw this little video on Instagram the other day it was this guy was talking about about singing mm-hmm. and he talked about the Psalms and he said something like I want to say it was like 60 or 70% of the Psalms are laments. Yeah. We don't lament as Christians nearly as much as we should. True. We don't cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. We don't, we don't weep over the sins of our nations nearly as much as we should. And it be, it would be interesting to go to a Sunday, Sunday service where we spend the whole day singing these <laughs> lamenting songs. Lord, <laughs> we're so sorry. Right. <laughs> Forgive us. I mean, right. we really should. It would be an, I think it would be a very good learning opportunity, I think, for the church. And I'm not saying that, you know, we need to do that every week. But um, that's where revivals start. I think pastor, mm-hmm. our pastors preached a lot about the major, because he's a history buff too. Yeah. He says the major revivals in modern Christian history mm-hmm. have all been on the backs of repentance. Right. People who have turned away from evil Christians, you know, and I, well, I, and they also came at times of when our country was in extreme distress. Yeah. You know, you, you had the revolution, you had the civil war. Those were times where right up against those times, you had these, this inswelling of revivals of this uprising of Christian spirituality. You know, you had the rise of Pentecost in the, in the, the church, you know, at the time. And that was really interesting and <laughs> to read about. But, um, Revival, people waking up, you know? But yeah, and so that's kind of why, going back to what I said before, when I see these times when we're going through this stuff, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't... I mean, I get disappointed, and I, I do get discouraged sometimes. Yeah. But I remember that that this is the times where the church grows. This is the time where um, people turn back to God, and where uh, God is allowed to move in ways that we have held him back from. Mm. That's really good. Uh, so I feel like um, building yourself, like last week in church, we were talking about the the man who builds his house on the rock and when the rain comes, because the rain's right. going to come. And I feel like men can be that for the family. They can be that immovable force that no matter what splashes up against them, they were built on the rock that's Jesus Christ, and they aren't going to be easily moved. Yeah. You know, even... If their wife comes to them and says, I want a divorce, they're going to say, I'm not going to be easily moved. Right. You know, like, I'm your husband. I'm the father of our children. I'm going to fight for this. And I think too many men, you know, said, well, she doesn't want it anymore, so I'm just going to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm a feminist, man feminist, because I said that. You know, like, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. And I, I know that maybe sounds judgmental, but I've been really encouraged by what you're saying today because there are many, many men that are like you that mm-hmm. are willing to stand and fight. And um, maybe some encouragement for, like, the church is obviously a place where men who grow up fatherless can heal. 
and they can get fathers, yeah. spiritual fathers. And I guess because it's easy to talk about the problems, and maybe we can talk more about the, the solutions to some of these fathers and problems or whatever. But, yeah, I think the church is the answer, the church that's following after Christ. And I love our pastor is like, does not, um, what's the word I'm trying to think? He's not easy on the men. No. He often calls them out, and he's like, and he's very like, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to stand up for your families. Mm -hmm. And I think other churches, people might be like, oh, that's so harsh. Right. But it's like, well, that's what's going to save our families. I had a friend who, they actually was a couple that went to the church. They didn't go for very long, but they had left the church. And then when I ran into them again at an event, I was talking to him about, you know, because they had started going to a different church, which I think is fine. Um... But I asked him about it, and he's like, well, we don't actually go anymore. And I was like, oh, why not? And he goes, well, you know, my wife won't go with me. And I said, I'm sorry, does that mean that you can't go? Oh, gosh. Am am I missing something here? And I told him, if you don't make this a priority, she's certainly not going to. Mm. You know? And I, when I went to college, I lived with a family. I rented an apartment from them. Mm -hmm. Man and woman, their kids were all mostly adults. We were around the same age, but they were all a few years older than me. And, um very strong, solid Christian family, amazing kids, great friends. Um, But what I found out, and I didn't know this, and I would never have guessed, was that the husband was not a follower of God for a very long time. In fact, had only recently become a Christian within the five years that I met them. But his wife took those kids to church every day, or every Sunday, you know, raised them in the ways of the Lord, several times filed for divorce, didn't go through with it, kept just being a godly wife. And eventually, uh, it was the um, Columbine shootings that just really got a hold of his heart. And he turned to the Lord, and you just would never guess now. But And I would say this to any, any mother or woman out there who has a husband who doesn't follow the Lord. Don't, don't use that as a reason to leave him. If there's other things going on, like that's between you and God, I'm not going to tell you... But if you have a husband who doesn't follow the Lord, go to church every Sunday. Continue to pray for him. Raise your kids in the Lord as much as you can. And trust that God is going to bring something into that man, into into that situation that's going to get his attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's discouraging. I can't imagine what it's like to live in that kind of a marriage. But just because you have that kind of a marriage doesn't mean that it can't be healed. doesn't mean that God can't do something in there. And it doesn't mean that you stop doing what you know you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, the church is, is, the church, the local church is the tool of the gospel in this modern age. Very true. It's what God established in the New Testament to further the kingdom of God. So, again, people listening to this, if you're not plugged into a, a local church, you need to get plugged into a local church. God created the church. God created, quote unquote, organized religion mm-hmm. that is not perfect. It's full of imperfect people. It's led by imperfect people. So mistakes are going to happen. But that is the tool that God has chosen to use in this age. In the Old Testament, he used a lot of prophets that also did some not awesome things. You know, yeah. <laughs> David was the man after God's own heart. He did some pretty terrible things. But that's the tool that God used to further his will and his kingdom in, in ancient times and the churches for modern times. If you're not plugged into a modern church, in a local church that you go to face to face, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I don't know how um, people do it without the church. But and 
But there isn't an excuse. You won't find me being sympathetic for anyone who says that they can do church online. You need the community. You need the family. You need that um, that support system in your life. Yeah, you need to be serving and actually in actual yes. seeing people relationships because that's the difference too. Because a lot of people are like, "Well, I've been going to church for years and years, but they never like." Get they got it. You got to sell in. You got to get plugged you know? in. My kids, Katie and I, both serve in the church in different, and we're not like church leaders, yeah. you know. I mean, I do security downstairs on Sundays for the preschool. But, you know, my kids, my older two, are both involved in serving. Mm-hmm. My youngest, who's starting youth group this summer, is... No way. Yep. He's, he's supposed to be a baby. Yeah. He's grown up. <laughs> he's, he's starting youth group next week, his first his first, uh, first Wednesday. That's exciting. But he is he is so excited to get at that point because he wants to serve. And that's the example that we have set. Um and don't get me wrong, we work hard. You know, Sundays are not a day of rest for us. Yeah. Um, you're up early and you're there till the last person. But I leaves. think that yeah. our attitude towards it has been such that it's so appealing to him to do that. You know, he is he is looking forward to and excited about the aspect of serving in our church because of the attitude that Katie and I and Matthew and Emily have had towards serving as well. It's fun. You get to be kind of a part of the secret club. You get to learn where all the, <laughs> the secret like places in the church are. All the nooks and crannies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. not that it's not, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not always sunshine and, and daisies when you're serving in the church. There's a lot of stuff that comes along with serving that isn't fun. I don't like getting up at seven o'clock on a Sunday morning yeah. all the time, but it's so rewarding. You know, it, 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 every time I leave church, I, I, even if I didn't want to go that morning, I'm never sorry that I did. Yeah. Um, and so. There's always the attack. You know, something's really good is going to happen at church when like nothing goes right leading up to right. it. Because you're like, oh, but you're right. I think when we just get comfortable and we just, we go to church and see it as a buffet instead right. of as a potluck where everyone brings something. I think that's... Oh, I like that. I've never heard that before. That's what my I like dad that. used to say when he was a pastor. He said, church isn't a buffet where you come and get fed and you're happy and you leave. He's like, you bring something. Yeah. And it better be good or yeah. we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and so... I think also just along those lines, it's important to remember that it's not pastor's job to save your friends. Mm-hmm. It's your job. Oh, that's so good. Um, we're kind of going long here, but, yeah. we, and, but I just want to end. We've already talked about some funny stories and... And through the years, but um, what's some encouragement for moms and especially dads, as this is our Father's Day episode? <laughs> um, obviously, most of our listeners are women and their moms, but we do have dads that listen too, and it's also encouraging for women to hear it from the dad's point of view. But like, what's some encouragement you might have for moms and dads, especially dads, on this Father's Day? I think the number one thing I would say when it comes to raising kids is that you have to be consistent, um, and and persistent. You know, and, and, and Katie and I run into this a lot where it feels like we say the same thing over and over and over again. Oh um, and, and I can totally tie this into a funny story. We, we had issues with our kids throwing balls in the house. They actually broke a couple of things that were very near and dear to me. Oh. You know, some family heirlooms that got broken. And, um, and, I, and I told them, don't throw another ball in this house again, period. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, I, I was sitting downstairs we had just replaced a, a like a light cover on the ceiling in the boys' room. And I was getting ready, and I hear this crash. I mean, like two days later. And I go up there, and it's broken. Ugh. And all three of the kids are standing there. 
and there is a ball on the floor. And I said, what happened? And the older dude kind of hinted and hawed and Jackson goes, we threw the ball. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, we even talked about how you told us not to do it, but we did it anyway. And I just thought, I'm going to go to prison right now. Like, I, I understand why some animals eat their young. Like, I, am, I was so unbelievably frustrated at that moment. I was like, I can't. Kate, I told her, you have to deal with this. I can't, I can't even be in this room right now. I was so mad at that moment. Just crazy with like, how could you talk about the fact that I said not to do this and then you still did it anyway? Um, but, you know, but, and it's just like, I, I don't even know what to do. You just want to give up. Like, it's just, it's not even worth it anymore. We'll just leave the light cover off. And we'll just make sure that all of our stuff is made out of plastic from now on, you know. But but if if we're going to make it and if we're going to overcome these things that are... Because just as consistent as persistent that we need to be, the world is just the same. It is consistent and it is persistent towards your kids. And if you are going to have any chance at pushing back against that, you can't waver. You can't compromise. You have to stick to the... The rules and the the standards that you have always. It's easy to be like, this isn't even worth it anymore. But you can't do that. You have to stick with it. Oh, that's so encouraging. Well, thank you so much for being the first dad. Thanks for having me. I'm, I was very excited to, uh, to get the opportunity. It's been a very fun interview. And uh, and I just, yeah, we really appreciate your, your family and your friendship and giving your time. And so... Well, thank you guys for listening, and um, if you want to reach us on all the socials, we're Instamamas Nat and Rach, and Instamamas19 at gmail.com, and have a happy, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for listening.